Well, hey, good morning. And uh, from wherever you are, glad you're joining and tuning into our service today. I hope you have your Bibles and keep it open as, as I kind of go through Hebrews chapter 9 today. We're picking up from last weekend. Um, you know, if you guys kind of haven't noticed yet, Hebrews uh, has this continual theme kind of from the beginning to, to where we are now has this like theme of talking about Jesus as our great high priest. And so we, we are picking up from last week where we talked about Jesus as our uh, great high priest. And, and, you know, that just basically means he's our mediator. He represents uh, us to God. He bridges the gap between heaven and earth. He allows us to know God and know him personally. He reconciles us through the forgiveness of our sins. Um, and, and, you know, last week we talked about how unless we know um, Jesus as Savior, we will never know God as our Father right? So if we are to know God as our Father, a personal Father, we got to know Jesus as our personal Savior, because He is the one, as the great high priest does and, and is responsible for, He, he mediates and He uh, reconciles uh, us, a sinful man, to a holy God. You know, not by our works, not because of um, anything good that we have done, or it's not something that we've earned. It's not a ladder we've climbed by our, our, uh, the record of our successes and, and personal piety, but simply just by faith and believing in Jesus, we are now reconciled to God. We, we have a personal relationship with God for those who actually have put their faith in Jesus and believe in Jesus. The question that uh, I ask for us today as I um, walk through Hebrews chapter 9 is, you know, how did the people before Jesus, how did they meet with God? How were they reconciled to God? Were they just somehow more holy, right? How, how do they deal with their sins and how do they meet with God? I want to share you a quick funny story. About a week ago, my wife and I, I had overheard our oldest son, Benjamin, uh, singing this song, and it's actually more of a rap, but the lyrics go, I'm so hot, I'm so hot, check me out, check me out, I'm so hot. And I, I'm not making this up. So my wife and I were, were at first, were confused, like, did he, did he just say that? Did those words just come out of his mouth? I'm so hot. So he's by himself. He doesn't know we're listening. I'm so hot, I'm so hot, check me out, check me out, I'm so hot. So can you imagine as a parent catching your five-year-old saying, I'm so hot, check me out. And my wife and I, we were so confused. And then we LOL'd, we were just laughing out loud. And then, and then we were like concerned. <laughs> we are like, why would a five-year-old say, I'm so hot, I'm so hot, check me out. This is a true story, by the way. And then a couple days later, so just a few days ago, actually, this all happened within a week. A few days ago, we let our son Benjamin watch something on Netflix, and we, we allowed him to choose his own show, and he, he said he wanted to watch this particular cartoon. So we turned it on, and we're just kind of doing our own thing. And as a cartoon is being, you know, is, is on, we hear this song. We hear the song that Benjamin was singing, and it's the same song. It's, I'm so hot, I'm so hot, check me out, check me out, I'm so hot. And we're like, no way, that's where he got the song. Or that's where he got the rap. That's where he got the, the lyrics. He's singing that song. And, and then I'm watching this cartoon to try to figure out what is this about. And it turns out that it's actually a cartoon uh, uh, that teaches about the, the solar system. 
And it's a cartoon called The Storybot. And it's teaching about the solar system and the particular part of the song my son was singing or rapping was about the sun. And so he was talking about how hot the sun is. And, 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 and this, is, this is how it goes. After, after, I'm so hot, I'm so hot, check me out, check me out, I'm so hot. This is what it says. Yo, everyone, I'm the sun. I'm made of gas like hydrogen and helium. I keep the earth warm and help to grow food. I shine down on the beach on guys who say, dude. I set into the west and on comes night. And then I rise from the east with that golden light. I'm so hot, so hot, so hot and bright. And then it says 28 million degrees. I'm so hot, I'm so hot. Check me out, check me out. I'm so hot. Just real quick, Benjamin, if you're watching this, Daddy loves you. He's proud of you that you know more about the sun than, than I do. But my son was rapping this song about the sun, and he was talking about how you should check it out, you know, because this, the sun is crucial to life. The song and the rap is basically saying that it keeps the earth warm. It gives light to the earth. It helps food to grow. It is a necessity. It's not optional. You need the sun. So check it out. But it also says at the end of the song, I'm also 28 million degrees. So here's what it's trying to say. It's saying, check me out. You need me. I am crucial. But it's also saying that you can't come too close because I'm so hot. I'm so hot. I'm 28 million degrees. So with the sun, you experience the sun. You can see the sun. You can feel the sun. We need the sun, but you can't get too close to the sun because the sun is so hot. And here's why I'm saying this, because in Hebrews chapter 9, if you guys read on first verses 1 and, and verses 1 through 5, it's just basically talking about this arrangement that was needed for us to check out God, that we are a people with full of sin and inequity, iniquities and transgression, and we can't just casually walk in on God. God in His kindness has made an, an arrangement for people that have broken his law, a people that has been rebellious to him, people that's always thinking about me, myself, and I, he has made a way. He has made an, made an arrangement so that people can still move towards him, so that people can still draw near to him. And it, God doesn't say, you know, just come on in. Let's just meet. Because you got to understand that God is holy. But in his kindness, he makes a way. And so what chapter 9, verse 1 through 5 is describing is just that, that arrangement that God has established for us to go through in order to meet with our God. So this is the old covenant. And he's saying, the author is saying that in the first covenant, the old covenant, this was the Jewish tradition that there was a, a tent or the tabernacle which represent uh, where you would meet with God and God's presence was what was symbolized in this place called the most holy place. But you couldn't just walk in because God's holy. You would actually die. And so what would happen is God established this place, this first section, it says in verse 1, this first section 
uh, verse 2, where that you would walk in and this is where the priests would be and, uh, and they would make regular sacrifices and they would kind of do this day in and day out, right? But in this first section, there was a, it was a dark room, no windows, and so you would have a lampstand that provided vision and light for you to see, right? And, and you would not only see a lampstand, but it says in Hebrews 9, verse 2, that there would be a table with bread and it's not just for you to eat. But it symbolized um, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. There would be 12 loaves of bread and then a lampstand, right? And then you would, you would walk in and you would begin to realize that there was a curtain at the end of this first section. And behind that curtain was a second section that Hebrews 9 is describing. And in the second section called the most holy place was where the presence of God would, would be considered to dwell. It was, there were, you would see gold, you would see the Ark of the Covenant, you would see the... Um, you would see a vase, what they would call the urn, right? You would see tablets of the covenant. You would, you would see gold coverings everywhere. And as you read Hebrews 9, uh, 1 through 5, as, as the author is describing the, the tent of um, the holy place and the most holy place, there's a golden altar of incense, the ark of the covenant, all sides with gold. Uh, there's a golden urn holding the mana. There's Aaron's staff that's budded and the tablets of the covenant. And as you're reading, you might be thinking like, this is like pottery barn, but it's not, right? It's not for decoration. It was, everything was uh, symbolic and there was, there was a sense of holiness. There was a sense that you are in a holy, you are on holy ground. Because it represented the presence of God. And so God would have this arrangement for the priest and then uh, the great high priest, that high priest to, to, to go on behalf of the people so that they can actually meet with God. This is how they dealt with their sins. This is how God would have them deal with their sins. And the priest would be in the, the, the first section kind of regularly with sacrifices. But only once a year the high priest would go into the most holy place. It would be called the Day of Atonement. And there would the high priest would take the, the, uh, the, the blood of the sacrifice of animals in a cup and they would, he would take it to uh, the most holy place where the presence of God was, would dwell. And, and as the high priest would offer the blood of the sacrificed animals, it was as if God was looking down on the blood and seeing that the blood has covered the iniquities of his people. The blood of animals has covered the, the sins of, of Israel for that year. And they would do this every year. Because the Bible says where there is no blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You got to remember it because this God is holy. And so they had to go through this arrangement. You don't just casually say, I'm, I'm just going to come in. There was... There was a sacrifice necessary. Why? Not because God is busy, but because God is holy. You got to remember, this is kind of intense. Right? There, were, there was intensity. There, there's, there's animals being sacrificed. There's blood being poured out. There's, there's your life at stake, and there's a holy God that's dwelling amongst you. It was a reminder for them as they would see the blood of the animal, as the, they see the high priest representing them. Going before God and showing the blood as a, as a payment, as atonement for their sins. It was a reminder of how destructive sin is to our, us and our lives. It was a reminder of how holy God is. 
and who he is. That, that's the backdrop of all that's happening in Hebrews chapter 9, of why he's ex, is, is, uh, explaining the regulations. He's trying to make the point without just saying it. He's trying to make the point that God is holy. God is holy. And so this is why you needed a high priest. And the new covenant points to the reality that we have Jesus as our high priest. And he doesn't go once a year. He came once for all. And when Jesus came, because he was the perfect, unblemished sacrifice, he was the only priest that was, that was, that was qualified and capable of covering all the sins of all humanity once and for all. So, so the, this arrangement was something they have to go through because of the holiness of God. You, you couldn't just walk in on him casually. You couldn't just meet him casually, right? And we, we kind of know what that's like to have to go through people, uh, needing a, a person to represent you, uh, needing someone to hold your hand and connecting your hand with someone else. We all kind of know, right? Let me bring you back to elementary. Let me bring you back to like third grade or fourth grade when you had that first crush. You, you with me? And, and you remember when you had that first crush and you're like, wow, she's the most beautiful third grader I've ever seen in my life. And you're like, how do I, how do I get to talk to her? How do I... How do I make her, you know, my, my girlfriend or, or um, you know, and things like that. And so what we do in elementary, maybe this is just me, right? But, but what we would do is, you know, in elementary, you would try to find someone that knows her. And you would go to that person and say, hey, do you know her? And you would say, hey, can you give this to her? And, and you would maybe write a note or, or find some kind of gift, right? Like, you know, like a third grader kind of. A level and just, you know, just an innocent little note card or a gift or, you know, just, and you'll fold it. Hey, can you give this to her? Can you, can you represent uh, me, you know, uh, to her on my behalf? Can you, can you show this to her? Can you tell her? And we would do that. But as you get older, it's, that's kind of, you know, childish. And as you get older, like maybe college and you want a date, you want, you, you, you uh, come across someone that's, that's, you know, uh, potentially worth meeting and, and you, you want to go out with them and, and you see that person as maybe your future spouse, you know, but, but you're not sure how to go about it. You know, what we do is a lot of times we ask someone that knows that person to, to we say the phrase, can you hook me up, All right? You guys ever say that? Can you hook me up? Can you help me to get to know that person, All right? And so, you know, we call this a, a blind date or we call this a setup and, and uh, many people today are married because of people representing them, you know, on their behalf. This is how I actually met my wife, Steph, right? This was um, back when I was 28, so about 11 years ago now. And um, I, I remember the day clearly because I was at Buffalo Wild Wings, and, and it had to be a Tuesday because back then there were uh, Tuesday half-off, 50% off specials and on traditional wings, the one with the bone because that just tastes better. And so I remember like it would be a weekly thing for uh, our church community to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. And so we would, uh, you know, take up the whole space. And I remember eating and I was probably on like my 15th wing and just randomly, randomly one of the, one of the ladies, the females in our church said, James, do you want to get set up? And as I'm enjoying my wing, I said, sure. You know, I said, sure. Like, why not? You know? And, and so, um, you know, long story short, that's kind of how everything started. 
I had someone who, who, who said, I, I want to I get James and I want to get Stephanie and I want them to meet. But it, it took our mutual friend to help mediate that, to help represent us uh, on our behalf and to bring these two parties together, right? If it wasn't for our mutual friend and her help, I don't know if I would have ever met Steph, right? And that's powerful that, you, uh, that we have people that we can that it can help us and act on our behalf and represent us. And what the Bible is trying to say is that that's Jesus to us. He goes before God on our behalf and he represents us. And those who put our faith in him, those who who believe in him, in his life and death and resurrection, Jesus goes before the Father and he, the Father, looks at us not with our record, but his son's record, Jesus' record. He sees righteousness in us because of our faith in him. He goes on our behalf behalf. And so that's the arrangement of the new covenant. The reason for the new covenant is because the old covenant had a problem. And the problem was that in the old covenant, the the high priest would have to go um, every year. And and it says that in verse 1 that there were regulations. And then in verse 6, it says that the priest would go regularly so there were regulations that the priests would have to uh, uh, endure regularly because our sins would not fully go away and our sacrifices were not fully sufficient. Is that making sense? That, that they had to keep sacrificing over and over again. And what was happening on the outside represented what was happening on the inside, that our sins were not fully covered. Our sacrifices are not fully sufficient. So let's do it again and again. That's why it was just a copy and a shadow of a new reality that points us to Jesus. That's why he's our great high priest. It says in verse 13, if you have your Bibles, go with me there. It says, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean Sanctify them so that they are what? Outwardly clean. So that they are outwardly clean. So that with the old way of doing things, they were outwardly clean, but they were not inwardly changed. So there remained this guilty conscience. And so let's sacrifice again. And let's ask the high priest again. And let's do this every year. Why? Because though we were outwardly clean, we were not inwardly changed. There was no internal, inward, uh, true forgiveness of sins that was once and for all. There remained a guilty conscience, the sense of, man, there is still, there's, the outside is clean, but the inside there's guilt, there's condemnation, there's sin. And so this is pointing to, again, the reality of our need for Jesus for our high priest who appeared to us once and for all, forgiving our sins. We learned last week that he forgave our sins. He puts his law not on tablets and stone, but now he puts his law on our hearts and he writes them, or he, write, he puts his law on our minds and he writes them on our hearts. And he says that he will be our God and we will be his people. <clears throat> and as I say that, here's what I'm here to really tell you today. What I wanted to tell you today is that as we think about 
the reality of what Jesus does on our behalf, there's two things that we have to hold together. One is we have to hold his kindness. We have to say, man, this is the kindness of God. This is grace and mercy. And at the same time, as we hold his kindness, we have to not forget his holiness. And I say that today with conviction, and I say that with a burning heart, because I think so much, so many times as believers and Christians, we say yes to his kindness, but sometimes we don't want his holiness. We, we hold tight to his kindness, but we let loose his holiness. Because we all want to be forgiven, but sometimes we don't want to actually change. And what Hebrews is saying to us is that in the new covenant, it wasn't just that Jesus and his kindness was toward us. In the new covenant, his holiness is in us. That's powerful. That's an amen by myself moment as you think about the reality of what Jesus has done for us, that it was God's kindness towards us but it was also his holiness now in us. He has made us holy, pure, redeemed, forgiven from the inside out once and for all. You don't need to go back for another sacrifice. Jesus was it. And so we must not say yes to his kindness because I need to be forgiven while saying no to his holiness because we want to be comfortable. We've got to hold those things together, God's kindness and God's holiness. And so as you think about the movement that God has arranged in the old covenant, it was about us moving towards God. In the new covenant, it was about God moving towards us. And what God wants us to see and remember is that his holiness has never changed. It wasn't as if now in the new covenant, he's less holy, so he's going to just come to us. No, that's his kindness and his grace and mercy. But his holiness has never changed. His holiness is now no longer in, in the most uh, holy place, in a temple, surrounded by walls and a building. His holiness is now us. We are the temple. We are the ones who reflect that very character and holiness of God. In Jesus, there is no more condemnation. Christ has forgiven us instantly, completely, eternally. He does not hold our sins against us. He removes our guilt, right? And he, he has declared us righteous in his eyes. He says we are a holy people, a royal priesthood. And my message today is simply this, that you and I as a believer, we would actually walk in that reality, that we don't just stop at the kindness and say, wow, I'm forgiven. And so now I get to do whatever I want. No, it's, wow, I'm forgiven. And now I can walk in a new life. And now I can fully serve God. Now I have everything I need to live out a godliness and holiness in my life until the day of Christ Jesus. My passion for us today, my conviction for us today, is that we would walk in the holiness of God. We would walk in godliness. See, look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. It says, How much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, 
Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Eugene Peterson in the Message Bible, he says, to live all out for God. In other words, God has purified our conscience, forgiven our sins once and for all, not so that we can live for ourselves, but so that we can live for God. And I think the danger of Hebrews, what they were facing and their uh, imminent persecution and they were being challenged because of their faith, I think what they were, the reason for their drifting away from Jesus is that they wanted to hold on to their happiness more than holiness. They were more concerned about their own happiness than they were about holiness in their life. And I want to tell you that those two things actually aren't in conflict. There's a guy named A.W. Tozer. You may have heard of him. He says, no man should, should desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. He should spend his efforts in seeking to know and do the will of God, leaving to Christ the matter of how happy he should be. Right? And so it's actually holiness that leads us to true joy and happiness. Right? My question for us is today, as we have received the forgiveness and the kindness of God and Jesus as our high priest, may we not forget his holiness and the work that he wants to do in us to make us holy. Peter says, be holy for I am holy. That's what God says to his people who have been forgiven. He says, now walk in that reality. Now that you're forgiven, that's not the end. That's the beginning of a walk that is laid out for you. I'm reminded of a passage this past week in 2 Peter verse 1 through 9. I want to just quickly read this for us uh, as we close in the next couple of minutes here. For 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 1 says, To those through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received the faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, His divine power has given us Everything, how much? Everything. Everything we need for what? A godly life. A godly life through our what? Our works, our effort, our personal um, piety. No, it says through our knowledge of Him. So through a relationship in knowing Jesus personally, we have everything we need for a godly life who called us by His own glory and goodness. Go with me to verse 5. It should be on the screen. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness to goodness, knowledge to knowledge, self-control to self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness to godliness, mutual affection to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So that, that passage doesn't even need a sermon. It just speaks for itself. But what it's saying is that through our knowledge of Him, and how do we get that knowledge? By faith, not by works. It's a gift of God. Through a knowledge of Him, through Jesus, we have everything we need for a godly life. So God desires that for us. He desires a godly life to walk in holiness, right? doesn't mean that we, you know, exclude ourselves from any, anything earthly and we just, all we do is just pray and read the Bible in our closets. All that. That's not, 
That's not true holiness. But I think you understand what he's trying to say. In verse 5, it says, make every effort to add to your life all these things. It's talking about godliness. Make every effort to add this to your life. And notice it says add and not produce because we are not the ones to produce godliness. God is the supplier. God is the provider. But we add it. You say, man, in Jesus, I see this. Add. Man, I see in Jesus goodness. Add. I see in Jesus self-control. Add. I see in Jesus perseverance. Add. You see, apart from Jesus, we don't have what it takes. But in Jesus, we have all we need for a godly life. So he says, add it, add it, add it to your life. And he says, make every effort. And I think about, man, we make efforts every day. We make an effort in everything we do. We make an effort to wake up. We make an effort in our parenting. We make an effort in our relationships, in our friendships. We make an effort in our work to do well. And we, we make an effort in, you know, uh, to love others and to... You know, uh, in all these things in life, we make efforts. And the question that I have as I close is, man, when was the last time we made every effort to add godliness to our life? Some of you guys are like, hold on, hold on. That sounds more like it's all up to us. And I want you to to remember that it's through a knowledge of Jesus. It's through a relationship with Jesus we make every effort. Let Let me just say this, that effort is effort to grow is not like an optional dessert on the menu, like if you have room for it or if you have time for it. Let me also just say that effort is not in itself legalism. Effort is not in conflict with the gospel. Effort is a good thing. Effort is necessary. But it's what we do with that effort that makes it wrong. It's what we try to earn with that effort that makes it wrong. See, our effort towards a holy and godly life are not to earn our righteousness and feel close to God, to earn his love or to earn a reputation with others or to feel secure or to feel like we're forgiven. It's an effort that flows from it, not for it. It flows from what Jesus has already done for us. You know, I think about um, the example of being a a married man as a husband I make every effort to do what a husband is called to do, not because by doing these things, I'm now a husband. It's because I'm a husband, I make every effort to do what a husband is called to do. It's a new reality for me. The same, it is the same with us as believers who have been forgiven of all our sins because of Jesus, our high priest. We now walk in him. We now walk with him. And because of what Jesus has declared and, and considered as righteous and, and holy, we can now walk in that holiness. And then he says that if you don't have these things, then you are nearsighted and blind. And I don't know how you're near, nearsighted and blind at the same time, but I think you get the point. What he's trying to say is, if you just think it's just about being forgiven, and you're not walking in godliness, he's saying you're, you're not seeing it. You're not getting it. You're missing the point. And then because he goes on and he talks about you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your sins. And so if we truly understand what Jesus has done, that he has once and for all cleansed us from all our sin, then remember he has a new life before us to walk in godliness. So I just want to encourage you this week and exhort you as a church, make every effort to add to your life godliness.
Because God's desire as we walk with him, and this, this is beautiful, he wants to make me, he wants to make you more like him every single day. So don't miss out on that. 